Hello, this is Tommy Strait. I'm Yasmin Parry here with Will Ockenden. And today we're joined by Sarah White, who's an ABC journo who has a very long and storied history reporting on refugees and asylum seekers. Hi, Sarah. Hi, thanks for having me. So you started off reporting on refugees and asylum seekers all the way back at the Sydney Morning Herald. That's right. And it was just when Abbott had gotten into power. So it was very much that stage of let's stop the boats. And it was a, a big militarisation of the refugee debate. So it was, yeah, it was really interesting. And I was in Canberra for a year and a half, mainly doing that, those stories. So you've sort of been there reporting through all of these changes of prime ministers, all of these changes of policies. Does it feel a bit like deja vu, like the story keeps coming back and it doesn't ever really change that yeah, much? Def- I definitely. It's, it's really hard. I mean, sometimes you can almost script a story without hearing what anyone's saying because you know what they're all going to say. And everyone's so um, predictable in that sense, which is terrible that the refugee debate is so predictable, but also really interesting that it doesn't seem to shift even when new developments come through. And the new development this week is that the Manus Island detention facility, which is in PNG in Papua New Guinea, the Australian government has been forced to close it because of a uh, Constitutional issue yeah. with the Papua New Guinean That's right. courts. They basically had to shut it. There was no option. And is that a big development in the grand narrative that you've been following all, all this time? Yeah, I mean, that's it's massive. But then it wasn't as massive as I expected because you'd think, like, by it closing, it's like, well, what's going to happen to these men? It's like, oh, well, they're just going 30 minutes down the road to a new facility that doesn't have any fences. Right. Okay. Well, let's start by talking about Manus Island itself. Whereabouts is Manus Island you know, we know it's part of PNG, but how big is it? Where is it in relation to Australia? How many people actually live on the island? Yeah, so Manus Island is a province off Papua New Guinea. It's quite small and its primary purpose before the detention centre has been the naval base for the PNG government. So I think they chose it because it was there's not a huge population there. They were going to get a lot of facilities from the Australian government. So I think there was a bit of communication between the PNG government and Australia saying, Manus Island, we've already got these facilities, but we'd love more. And the Australian government saying, okay, well, we're going to help you build these facilities if you help house our refugees. So I've just looked, I'm just looking it up on Google Maps. It's, you've got the tip of Queensland, which points up to Papua New Guinea. And then if you go beyond Papua New Guinea, the mainland, and then a bit to the Bit to the right, that's Manus Island. So it's sort of up towards, quite close to the equator actually, up uh, above north of, of, of Papua New Guinea proper. Yeah, and it's really hot. So at the moment, you, I've been seeing videos come out and the asylum seekers are just really, really hot. It's a very hot and humid place. Have you ever been to Manus Island? No, I've never been. When I was doing immigration for Fairfax, it was at that time when no journalist was allowed on Manus Island and Nauru as well. There was just, uh, it was really tricky to even get a visa. But since I finished doing that round and, and moved on to different things, a few journalists have gone over, they've like relaxed the, um, the visa criteria. Because Liam Fox, the ABC's correspondent, is there right now. He's right there, yeah. And he can stay just near the centre. He can now go into the centre because it's now an open centre because it's now closed. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the actual detention facility itself. It has um, a, a bunch of people in there. And for the purposes of this conversation today, most of them are have been deemed to be refugees, yeah. but we'll call them asylum seekers because some haven't. That's right. Yeah. And so the big news this week is that they're closing that facility. Why has that decision come about? 
Well, there was a big stoush in the PNG Supreme Court and PNG basically found that by housing the, the refugees and asylum seekers or asylum seekers in this detention centre, it was breaking the constitution. So it was through the PNG Supreme Court, it was found to be unconstitutional. So suddenly the Australian government was thinking, well, we're going to have to do something here. And on April 8th, apparently that was the decision that they're going to have to close the detention centre. It can no longer operate as a centre. So it's quite interesting because this has closed. They've cut off the water. All the security people have left. Um, the food has stopped being delivered to the centre for these men. But they're opening up another centre just 30 minutes away where they're still offering food, they're still offering water, but they're not offering any security. In the last few days, there's been pictures on social media of the water tanks. They, the, 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 uh, the pipes were cut to drain the tanks. And basically, the Australian government is switching off its camp. Yeah, they're switching off the camp. They're saying it's done and we're going to hand it back to the naval base. So the PNG Navy gets it back to use as their own facilities. So where are they sending the, What? how many are, are there around about 600 asylum seekers now? There's about, yeah, 600 to 700. And where are they going to go? Because they're on this island that has not got a huge population. Are they going to another detention facility or are they trying, are they trying to integrate them into a society somewhere? So there's a few options on the table at the moment. Some of them all applied for the US deal with Trump. I will study this dumb deal. I will study this dumb deal. And that dumb deal has actually seemed to be working because 25 men, you know, have already gone over and there's potentially a next wave of men who may get the US deal. So that's one option. So despite the fact that the first conversation that Donald Trump and Malcolm Turnbull ever had when Trump became president, the, the big blow up and it was all over the news was that Trump was saying this refugee deal that Obama did, I don't get it. I don't know why the United States is supposed to be taking your refugees. Turnbull was very strong pushing, this is important, please, please take them. He said, I will study this dumb deal in a tweet. Uh, and so it seems like that's gone ahead now. They, Donald Trump has said, all right, fine. And they've taken 25 of these men. That's right. Yeah. And so I think, you know, he did say he will study it, but I think it was such a strong agreement between President Obama and Turnbull that they decided that they would go ahead with it. But it's a bit slower than they expected. They expected over a thousand people to take up the offer and to be resettled in the US. And I think they definitely expected it to happen before now. So it's kind of a trickle effect. And I guess it's just a wait and watch to see how many people will actually get that resettlement. And how are they going, the people, the 25 men that have gone to America? Do we know how they've been doing? Yeah, they're loving life. So I spoke to one guy and he's in Kentucky and he's just like, I just love my life. Um, I love being free. I love the freedom of the US. He loves the diversity. He was very happy. And that's probably somebody who was aiming to try to come to Australia. So America, obviously, another Western society, it's similar. I'd be like, yeah, this is a great deal. Maybe even better than what I was hoping for in Australia. That's what he ended up saying. He's like, I'm actually more happy that I'm in the US than I am in, than I would have been if I came to Australia. So that's option one. That's option one. Option two? The second option is Nauru. So obviously Nauru is the second offshore processing centre that Australia runs and that houses families. Once the Manus Island detention centre was no longer feasible, they said, all right, well, why don't you put up your hand whether you want to go to Nauru? To another detention centre though, not, not to be in the society or anything. Well, they can apply to resettle in Nauru. Um, so as a settlement option. But again, Nauru is a tiny little island in the Pacific, doesn't have many people, has a lot of issues of its own, used to be a total mining magnate. They used to earn so much money and mined phosphate, but now it's a country that doesn't have much mining going on. So that's the, that was the second option, but it's still 
not a great option for the men on Manus. And then the third option is to stay in PNG and be resettled there. And that's quickly becoming an option that they don't want to take because of the violence that's been happening in the last six months of uh, locals saying, we actually don't want you here. So it, would those people, the people who are in the the detention facility, if they were being settled in PNG, would they leave Manus Island itself and go to the main yep. land? They could go to Port Moresby. Um, they can be given options to fly to Port Moresby and, and resettle there. And has anyone taken that option yet? I don't think anyone's taken that option or if they have, there's not many. So they'd rather live in the detention facility than take the risk of being integrated into the PNG That's community. right. And, and it, that's what's so interesting and like sadly ironic having covered this for so long. You know, the detention centre was seen as this gulag, people are saying close it. It's just, it's so bad with these men being held in this detention centre as a prison. But now it's turned into their sanctuary where they're saying we don't want to leave because this is the only place where we feel safe. So, like you know, covering it yesterday, I was just thinking this is so, so sad and so strange that a prison would suddenly become someone's sanctuary because they're so worried of the outside world. And it's the point Peter Dutton, the immigration minister, is, is himself making. He was, uh, he's quoted saying, they've long claimed Manus um, was a hellhole uh, but at the moment it was closed, they demanded it to be kept open. I mean, he he does have a point. Like, they don't want to move to the alternate accommodation that the Australian government is providing. Is that is that the deal? Well, that's also contentious. I believe that it is being, you know, provided by the Australian government, but then they told me today it's, it's you know, it's to be dealt with with the PNG government. But it's basically a, you could say, a dual government-run facility. But that doesn't have security, and that's their main problem. It doesn't have the security that this detention centre did have. They had the, the big bars and the, the big fences to keep the locals out. See, that's interesting because – so they've, they've set up another facility – and at first I was sort of thinking, well, how if they've deemed it unconstitutional to keep these people behind bars, how are they setting up a whole other facility? But is that that key point there, is that this is not um, a facility to keep people in. It's just saying, look, we've got some accommodation for you, there's somewhere for you to stay, go for it, but we're not going to protect you in any way. Yeah, and it's basically called an open centre, so you can come and go as you please. Um, you know, this is you're not being held, you know, by detention. You're not being held by security guards. This is an open centre. I saw some photos circulating on Twitter basically showing that overnight, because the centre closed yesterday, the fencing around the original facility where there are still people squatting basically saying we're going to stay here. They've set up tarps that will collect water so that they can have clean drinking water. They're putting salt and sugar in it to try and make it drinkable. But there was also some of the bars had been kicked in and they said people have broken into the centre and tried to loot and we're afraid they're going to come back. Mm. So there's that real fear, even though there's such a small population on Manus Island of PNG residents, those people would break into the centre and attack them? And, and like, what are they trying to get in there for? Yeah, I mean, it's not the first time there have been attacks in the centre. I mean, there's been lots of disturbances where locals have stormed the centre. Um, there was the Manus Island riot, which happened a few years ago, where one guy actually died. And there was just a lot of anger. And there was, a, you know, the locals came in and there was lots of lots of rocks being thrown. And it was just a really like awful experience for everyone. More recently, there was a fight on a football oval. The um, refugees and asylum seekers were playing on the um, football oval. And there was a disagreement with a child who was the son of a naval person so one of the PNG naval officers and a fight broke out. 
And again, it's just, you know, constantly there's this tension between the people who live on Manus Island and the psalm seekers who do not want to be there. But now they're saying, we actually want to stay in the centre now because we're feeling so unsafe. What about the Cambodia deal that was done a while back? You know, apparently Australia signed a deal where Cambodia would take some of our uh, genuine refugees. This deal was very interesting. I, I went to Cambodia to even investigate it to see how it could work. And I basically surmised that it couldn't possibly work because Cambodia has such a poor record of treating its own refugees and asylum seekers. I couldn't see how it would possibly work with us sending asylum seekers or refugees there. Uh, it basically fell on its face, let's say. Um, it was $55 million, this deal that had been decided. And I mean, one of the really difficult things, and it's something that probably hasn't been brought up that much, is Cambodia gets a lot of money from China. So the main political power in Cambodia is actually Chinese. And whether that has any impact on the way that they treat their refugees, but Cambodia has a very bad record. There's a group called the Uyghurs who are a refugee group. And every time they come into Cambodia, Cambodia just ships them back to where they came from. I reported there, I used to work for the Phnom Penh Post and you know, you wouldn't even get a press conference. You would get a video of the conference that had happened hours later. Of you know, And there was no chance of asking this government questions. So as soon as they said, like, we're going to partner with Cambodia, I was thinking, oh, my God, I do not know how that will possibly work. They sent a huge delegation from DFAT over there to do it. And I think in the end, I'm not going to get into specifics, but I think it was less than 10 refugees were sent there. And I think there's maybe three remaining who are in a house in Cambodia. And this is all because the Australian government's policy is that anyone who arrives by sea will not be settled in Australia. So governments, um, predominantly the coalition government, but I think it began under Kevin Labor, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. have been finding other centres offshore because that's the way that the policy is met. Yeah, and it's one of those tricky things because, you know, the, the refugee flow and the asylum seeker flow throughout the world is something that needs to be thought thought about. There is huge numbers of displaced people moving around. Um, so if they actually sat back and, and talked about a long-term solution to work out this refugee problem, like partnering with different countries and kind of working out an allocation. Well, you know, there's 10,000 Rohingyas that need to be housed. Let's work out who can take what, who can, where we can allocate resources. But unfortunately, like you said, it, it's a real political reaction and, and things so quickly happen. I mean, when Rudd reopened the Manus Detention Centre, he's the one who stopped um, detention centres and un- that was, you know, enacted under Howard saying, enough of this, we don't need this. And then suddenly when he felt like perhaps he wasn't going to win this election and the tide was turning and there were so many boats coming through. He said, quickly, let's quickly bring you know Manus back to life. But the policy objective of stopping the boats has worked. Yes, absolutely. It's definitely worked. And I think, you know, using Manus and Nauru as kind of this is the punishment you'll get if you try and get to Australia has been incredibly effective. Um, it's almost this utilitarian approach that it's for a small minority suffering, it's best for the the greater majority. But you do have to look at that small minority and think, is it really fair that we've kept these men there for over over four years with no chance of resettlement? So what's next for this? I don't know. I've thought about this a lot. I mean, how it's going to work. I think eventually maybe the media will, media attention will die down and these men will just end up resettling in PNG. I think we may see more people go to the US. 
I'll be interested to see what happens with Nauru. I mean, basically, they've just got to tie up these loose ends because the boats have stopped. And that's great for this current government that the boats have stopped. There are no deaths at sea. But I think they're still looking for a third country that they can potentially move people to. I mean, it is a mess. It's a mess for these people. Um, but it, but for all purposes, the, the stop the boats policy has worked. This is Tell Me Straight. I'm Will Luckenden. Thank you very much for listening today. If you want to subscribe, you can do so on iTunes or whatever app that you're using. And their subscription service really does help. Also, so does leaving a review. Tell us what you think. Tell a friend. I was talking to my auntie last night and she said that she had some friends living in Spain who didn't really understand what was happening with the Catalonia stuff and why there was all of these protests happening outside their front door. And so she was like, you know what? You should check out this great podcast because it explains everything. So basically my family is promoting the podcast by individually emailing (laughs) it to their friends. You can do that too. We would really appreciate it. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Bye.